morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. Glad to see you. Welcome to everybody. We're glad that you're here today. Uh, still some stragglers with uh, spring break, I see, but uh, we're, we're glad that everybody's coming back home and, uh, and a part of our, our service today. So welcome to, to all. We're glad that you're here. If everybody uh, would take your, the uh, attendance sheets on each row, we'd like to ask if you would take those and uh, fill them out so we can have a record of your attendance with us. We would certainly appreciate that. And go ahead and check in on your phone and uh, let, it, let everybody know that you're here today. And uh, a few announcements I would like to call to your attention uh, while we're here. Easter is getting close, isn't it? It is getting close. And along with Easter getting close, we have a lot of Easter-like activities as we lead up to that, uh, that blessed day. First of all, we are continuing our Lenten lunch series. Uh, this this coming Lenten lunch will be at St. Paul's Episcopal Church on Wednesday. That's at 12 o'clock noon on Wednesday. And uh, we will uh, begin with uh, about a half an hour worship service and then enjoy lunch together. It's a great time for the fellowship of, of uh, the various churches around town to gather together and have an ecumenical service of, of uh Preparing ourselves for Easter. Also, this coming Sunday, I can hardly believe it, but this coming Sunday is Palm Sunday, and so we'll have some special uh, uh, activities as a part of our worship service on Palm Sunday, and then after church on Palm Sunday next week, we invite all of our children uh, and their parents to stay for lunch after church, and then there will be uh, crafts and uh, games and an Easter egg hunt for our children after church on Sunday, this coming Sunday. And then on April the 19th, which is Good Friday, uh, we will be hosting here at Community Baptist Church a Tenebrae service. And you may want, what does that mean? Tenebrae means, it, it means shadows or darkness. And it is a very powerful service that reminds us of the crucifixion of Christ. And this is on Good Friday on the day when Christ was crucified. And it's a very powerful reminder of the crucifixion of Christ. So that will be on April the 19th on Good Friday. Also, our upperclassmen are uh, getting up a, a trip for uh, a Downton Abbey tea. And uh, that, that'll be on, well, let's see here. When is it? Saturday? 27th. And so if you would like to be a part of that, uh, please give uh, Sue Berry a, a call. You can't see her because she's in Montana right now and will be for a couple of weeks. But I think she can get her phone call. So call her if you would like to attend that. And we will be pe- playing pickleball today at 4 o'clock. And so if you want to come and be a part of that, that will be a, a great time of fellowship as well. Are you as tired as I am? <laughs> There's a lot of activities going on, isn't it? It, it is, but it's, it's fun and it's meaningful, it's worshipful, and it's, it's, uh, it's good for us and our communities. Also, something that's good for us is greeting each other and sharing the love of Christ. So let me invite you to stand if you are able, and let us greet each other and share the love of Christ with one another. Don't, don't. 
Jesus, there was something about you there on that cross. There was something about your body there, about your manner. Irony of all ironies, you were the Son of God sent back to God by crucifixion. You were the King of kings hanging between two thieves. And we don't begin to understand it, just as those onlookers probably didn't understand it then either. But 
your whole life was a life of irony. You spent time with people like those thieves and called them good and wanted. You stood at wells with women who had never had their voices heard before. You told people to stop their cooking and cleaning and to listen to the Spirit. And you turned the world upside down. On that terrible day, you cried out of your human parts, Why have you forsaken me? And you cried out of your Savior parts, Forgive them, for they don't understand this. We look at that day and confess that we do not understand it either. But we do understand the irony of your life, and we understand the irony of your death, and we understand the irony of your grace that undid everything that we've ever done. And so during this season of Lent, as we journey towards your cross, we fast and we pray. And in our effort to understand, we stop and say that we'll never quite grasp the greatest irony of all. That you take us in our tired skin and bones and you tell us that we're, we're worth all of the ironies of the cross. That we're worth the holes in your wrists and feet. That we are worth the hours of agony that you suffered. The irony of it all is that you call us worth it. My Lord and my God, there is something about you there on that cross. May we spend the rest of our days trying to figure out just exactly what that is. Amen.
changed my mind about five minutes ago. I'm going to tell you a different story. I will tell you in the Bible, in the, the um, scripture that Nibby's going to read this morning, it talks about how, how much God loves us and that God wants us to be friends with God. Even though sometimes that's a little difficult. But God loves us that much. Here's my story. And you'll find out why, you'll discover why I changed it five minutes ago. When I was growing up, my sister and I, everybody turn around and stare at her. She's right back there. She's the one that looks like me. When I was growing up, my sister and I were very, very different. Although we're only 19 months apart, yes, I'm the younger one. Um, You're welcome. Um, We were very, very different. I was the one in high school that was home and in bed at 10 o'clock. She was the one in high school that at 2 o'clock in the morning my parents were out looking for her. We were very different when we were growing up. Well, she met this boy um, and they got engaged. Um, And the day that they were going to go pick out their engagement ring, she was home from college. And I said, Patty, what are you and Gary going to do today? And she said, we're going to go pick out my engagement ring. And I said, "Mm mm-hmm, right. Now, what are you and Gary going to do today? And she said, we're going to go pick out my engagement ring. And she said, and if you tell Mom and Dad before we get it, I'll kill you. (laughs) So I had to keep that secret for two whole weeks until she got her engagement ring. And after they got their engagement ring and she started making her wedding plans, Patty had a bunch of friends. They were all kind of as wild as she was, but that's beside the point. Patty had a bunch of friends, and Patty Dalton was her best friend. But when she started making her wedding plans, she asked me to be her maid of honor instead of Patty Dalton, her best friend. And that changed everything. Everything. From that time on, we have been, she has been my best friend. She 
is there when I need her. When I'm in the hospital, she is sitting right there. When times are good, she's there to laugh it through. When times are bad, she's there to hug me. God gave her to me, not only as my sister, but as my friend. Now, God does those kind of things. It is the oddest thing because God loves us and God considers us God's friends. God wants us to have friends like that, too. So one of these days, your brother, your brothers, what you're thinking now, you're going, oh, my gosh, there's no way in the world that we're going to be that good of friends. Um, But it may be somebody else. I met three other people in 1981. I know it. His eyes went. I know it. That was 38 years ago. And to this day, we are best friends. um, And we just celebrated that last month. God's going to give you friends. But the best friend you will ever, ever, ever have is Jesus. Mm -hmm. They are all my friends. Jesus is the best friend I ever had. Have. He is the best friend I have. Even as good as my friends are, even as good as Patty is to me, God says, I want to be your friend. And I'm sending Jesus so that he can be a better friend than anybody you've ever had. So God's going to send you some really cool friends. And they may be living in your house with you right now. Or you may be going to school with you right now. But God's going to send you some really cool friends because God is your best friend. Thanks.
Let us pray. Loving God, you have given us so much in all of creation. And yes, even a cross. Please bless and use these tithes and offerings we bring today to glorify your name. May they also help us to fulfill our mission to be the presence of Christ and your servants in this world in need. Amen.
so proud of our church. Thank you for loving me and Mr. Greg. Our scripture reading and Mary for telling us about that love and Jesus that loves us. Thank you, Mary. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verses 17 through 21. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of our God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God.
powerful that is. What a, what a great hymn and powerful message for, to tell a powerful story. You may have noticed that there seems to be a, a genre on television, a new genre on television that's becoming popular. Um, TV shows that are coming on about the power plays and the intrigue of uh, mon- monarchies and, and uh, things from historical times, sometimes from last century, but a lot of them from the Middle Ages. Have you, have you noticed some things on HBO and Showtime and things like that? Well, I want to tell you a, a true story about a power play from the Middle Ages. It has to do with Pope Gregory VII and King Henry IV of Germany. In those days, the popes not only had ecclesiastical power, power over the church and the churches around the world, but he also had a tremendous amount of political power, even over the kings. And so in a dramatic move, Pope Gregory excommunicated King Henry IV when, he, when King Henry insisted on divorcing his wife, Bertha of Savoy. And this was not only devastating to Henry spiritually, that he was excommunicated from the church, but also politically, because if he was not a part of the church, then it made him ineligible to be king. He would have to be removed from his throne. And so the king, who well knew what the Pope expected from him, came to Rome to do penance and to beg the king for forgiveness. I mean the the Pope for forgiveness, for absolution. Well, when he got got there, he discovered that the Pope was not even there. He was up, he was in the mountains in the Italian Alps. And so, during that harsh winter of 1077, King Henry IV and his servants made a long and treacherous journey through the snowy mountains of northern Italy to meet with the Pope. They found him in a small town called Canossa in the Italian Alps. And when Henry arrived, the Pope decided to humiliate him even further by making him wait in the bitter cold for three days before finally agreeing to meet with him. And reliable accounts state that when Henry was finally permitted to enter the gates, he walked barefoot through the snow and knelt at the feet of the Pope to beg his forgiveness. And as a result, the Pope granted him absolution and forgave him. It's a lot to go through to gain forgiveness, isn't it? Well, let's, let's contrast what Henry had to do to, abstain, to obtain absolution for his sins. Let's contrast that with what you and I were forced to do to obtain our salvation. For you see, it is not we who have to make a journey to a remote location to gain our forgiveness. And it is not we who stand hat in hand waiting to be recognized, seeking to be brought in out of the cold, longing to be forgiven. You see, in Jesus Christ, it is God who has made this journey for us. My friends, the journey of salvation is not our journey, 
but Christ's journey for us. He is the pilgrim. He is the pioneer of our faith, as the writer of Hebrews says to us. He is the one who walked the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering through Jerusalem to the cross. It was by His initiative that we are saved, not our own. And so as a part of our Lenten reflection, let's follow the journey that Christ took that leads to our salvation. The journey of salvation begins in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that, of course, is the place where Jesus went to pray on that night when he was betrayed. The Bible tells us that that Jesus went about a stone's throw away from his disciples. His disciples went with him, but he said, y'all stay here. And he went about a stone's throw further away from his disciples. And he knelt down to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Luke tells us that Jesus' agony was so great that his sweat came like great drops of blood. Truly a time of terrible anguish. And you and I have probably had our own personal Gethsemanes, have we not? In fact, I would say that anyone who has ever sought to do the will of God has had those times in their lives when they have wrestled with a difficult decision that they have to make. But that's the nature of the game. For you see, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is a commitment of personal sacrifice. It involves our time. It involves our energy. It involves our personal resources. And it could even involve our lives and require our our lives. History is filled with stories of of personal Gethsemanes where people were willing to pay the ultimate price because of their commitment to Jesus. And so Jesus prayed hard. He prayed hard in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. He probably prayed harder than he had ever prayed before over a decision that only he would be able to make. And when he came back to his disciples, he found them asleep. How human is that? Some of us may be sleeping while someone very close to us is agonizing over a deep and potentially devastating decision. And we're not even aware of it. But then while Jesus was speaking with his disciples, a crowd showed up in the garden, mostly soldiers. One of them in the crowd was one of his disciples named Judas. And he betrays the Lord with a kiss. I suppose this this event exposes evil in its ugliest. I mean, an enemy can be confronted head on, can't they? You expect to be ill-treated by someone who hates you. But when it is someone that you trust that stabs you in the back, when a kiss becomes an instrument of betrayal, 
when darkness masquerades as light, that is when we see how twisted the human spirit can truly be. And so the soldiers take Jesus. They haul him off from the garden and they scourge him. Thirty-nine lashes with a cat of nine tails. They weave a crown of thorns and place it upon his head. Someone finds a discarded purple robe and place it upon his shoulders. And in an attempt to humiliate him further, they salute him and kneel down and mock homage to him, crying, Hail, King of the Jews! They hit him on his head with a stick and they spit on him. Meanwhile, there's another troubled figure who also has a difficult decision to make. His name's Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate is Caesar's representative in Jerusalem, and it's up to him to keep the peace in the area. And so he questioned Jesus regarding the charges that the Jewish officials had brought up against him. But he found no evidence that he had done anything wrong. And, and even more disturbing, Pilate's wife has had a dream about this man, Jesus. And she was greatly disturbed by this. And she warns her husband, have nothing to do with this man. And so Pilate is facing his own Gethsemane, isn't he? But Pilate is not a man of courage or conviction. And he fails the test. He has Jesus brought out and set on a judgment seat at a place called the pavement, which in Hebrew is called Gabbatha. This is the second landmark on our journey to salvation. First there is Gethsemane, and then there, is, there was Gabbatha. And it was here that Pilate washed his hands of Jesus absconded with any responsibility. Don't you wish it was that easy to absolve ourselves from our responsibility for evil? Pilate offers the crowd of choice between Jesus and a well-known insurrectionist named Barabbas. And the crowd screams, Give us Barabbas! And so Pilate asked, well, Then what shall I do with this one who is called the king of the Jews? And the mob began screaming, Crucify him! Crucify him! And I am sure that the nails that pierced his flesh could not have pierced Jesus' soul like the chance of those people. These were his people. This was his beloved Israel. These were God's chosen people. And now they were screaming for his crucifixion. Rejection always hurts, doesn't it? I mean, all of us want to be recognized and appreciated. All of us want to be liked and respected. But of course, rejection is a part of life. And we know in our heads, we know in our heads that we, we can't please everybody all the time. We, we want to. I, I know. I do. We want to please everybody all the time, but we know in our heads that we can't do that. And sometimes we can't even please anybody. 
But that doesn't make it any easier when the people that we want to please reject us. I like the way George Whitfield handled rejection. George Whitfield was a great evangelist in the 1700s. He worked with uh, John and Charles Wesley and went all over the United States, that, what there was of it then, and had revivals and, and, a, and a great influence on the people all over this country. And it seems that he once received a letter... We pastors get that sometimes. (laughs) He received a letter that viciously accused him of all kinds of wrongdoings in his ministry. And so Whitfield returned a brief, courteous reply that stands as an example to anyone who is judged by others. He wrote simply, I thank you heartily for your letter. As for what you and my other enemies are saying against me, I know worse things about myself than you will ever say about me. Respectfully, George Whitfield. (laughs) Of course, Jesus had done no wrong. But there he sat, rejected by his own people at a place called Gabbatha. But Gabbatha is not the end of the story. For you see, from Gabbatha, our story moves on to the third stop along the journey of our salvation. And it is, as you have probably already guessed, a hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. The the soldiers compelled a bystander named Simon of Cyrene to to carry Jesus' cross because Jesus was not able to carry it. He was weakened by the, the scourge and the loss of blood that he had already endured. And so they got Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross up, to, up the mountain, up the hill uh, to Golgotha. And when they reached the top of the hill, hill, they nailed his hands and his feet to the crude wooden cross. They offered him wine mingled with myrrh, but he did not take it. He did not drink it. They stripped him naked. They hung him on that cross between two thieves. They gambled for his clothes at the foot of the cross. And passers-by taunted him by saying, Ha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. Even the, the chief priests and the scribes joined in. He saved others, but he cannot save himself, they cried. Gethsemane, Gabbatha, and now Golgotha. Father, forgive them, he prays, for they know not what they are doing. And the impact of his death would would never be forgotten by his disciples. There's a legend about Simon Peter when... The persecution of the Christians by Nero was at its very worst. Simon was urged by the other Christians in Rome to flee from Rome for his life in order to save his life. And and since discretion is usually the best part of valor, Peter complied with their wishes and he ran away from Rome. He fled the town. He fled the city. 
But as he was fleeing the city, he encountered a mysterious figure along the way. And and as the person drew nearer to him, he recognized that it was Jesus. And so he said to him in Latin, Quo Vetus Domine? Where are you going, Lord? And Jesus answered, I'm going to Rome to be crucified again because my servant Peter is leaving the church. And so with tears of repentance in his eyes and shame in his soul, Peter returned. He turned back to Rome and he went back to his death. The death of Jesus had a tremendous impact on his disciples, and it still has an impact on Christians today. I mean, how can we live such mediocre lives in light of what Christ has done for us? For six hours he hung on that cross, and his agony was so great that he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only someone who has experienced such terrible physical and emotional pain can truly empathize with such a mournful cry as that. And then suddenly, there was a loud cry. And the struggle was over. A centurion who watched him die exclaimed, Truly, he was a son of God. But fortunately, the story does not end at Golgotha. For you see, near the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in that garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been lain before. And it was in that tomb, late on Friday evening, that they placed the, the body of Jesus. The following Sunday morning, just before sunrise, some of the women came to the tomb to anoint his body with spices, as was their custom. But when they got there, they saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb and the body was gone. And there were two men standing there with dazzling clothes who said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? And soon the news traveled all throughout the region. He is alive. Such rumors have been spread about other people before. I understand that the coffin of Abraham Lincoln was pried open twice after his death to make sure. Once in 1887, 22 years after his assassination, and then 14 years later, that grisly deed was done again. Both times, rumors had spread all over the, the area that Lincoln was not really dead. And the rumors had taken on such credibility that it became important to the government officials to prove that they were false. And they were, by the way. (laughs) But these kind of rumors, we've heard, these kinds of rumors pop up all throughout history concerning famous people. I remember hearing rumors, rumors like that about John F. Kennedy. And of course, everybody knows that Elvis lives, right? But the difference between these rumors and Jesus is that he began making appearances to his disciples. And these appearances that he, were, that he was making to his disciples were so dramatic that the lives of those who experienced them were turned upside down. There were the scars in his hands and his feet and, and in his side 
Thomas cried, my Lord and my God. It was incredible. But it was true. He was alive. He is alive. And because He is alive, we too can live. (coughs) And so we have this journey of salvation. Gethsemane, where he wrestled with the, the mission that God had sent him to accomplish. Gabbatha, where he was rejected by his own people. Golgotha, where by his death he reconciled the world unto God. And, and the garden tomb, where God resurrected him to live forever in the hearts and in the lives of those who know him to be the Christ. So where does this, all of this leave us today? Well, I think that Paul gives us a clue to that when he writes, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us... The message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, says Paul, be reconciled to God. For God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So it seems that there is a last stop along the journey of this salvation that I've been talking about. And that last stop is here. Henderson, Kentucky. Our own town. This is the stop of salvation because it is here that we seek to tell the good news of God's salvation to others. It is here that we seek to make disciples of all men and women and boys and girls. It is here that we seek to reach out in the name of Christ to make someone's life better. It is here that we seek to be the presence of Christ serving a world in need. We seek to be ambassadors for Christ. For you see, the the story is not over. It did not end on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. And it did not even end on the day of His resurrection. My friends, the process is still going on. And it will go on until the day comes when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, as we continue on our own personal Lenten journeys, may we all remember the journey that Jesus took for us. And let us remember our responsibility to be ambassadors for this Christ who suffered for us and for all the world. Amen. Let us sing our closing hymn. I think one that speaks volumes to to each of us as we ponder our subject for today.
And I hope that this is the prayer of our hearts. Jesus, keep me near the cross.
car. Wow, she's a security guard. I mean, big job. Lock the door, unlock the door. Hey, I'll tell you this, though. If it means I can sit that big old comfortable chair in the week, That is a good chair. It is But it was like the previous one.